Well, as uh, Casey already mentioned, I love when he shared, me that, shared with me that story of him uh, in college and uh, challenging him and his buddy with uh, Psalm 139. Uh, I just thought that was such a cool thing because uh, it's exactly what I had said. I think it was either last week or the week before where I just said, if you, if you honestly pray that prayer, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you honestly pray that prayer, I mean, what if God actually says, oh, okay, I'll do that for you? That's uh, a scary prayer. It's a scary thing to pray because we, we, we kind of pray that prayer, I think, a little half-hearted. You know, we don't really want God to really show us the grievous ways in us. We'd rather not know, but it's an important prayer for us. And so as we've considered this verse and kicking off this new year, asking the Lord to search us and know us and show us our sinful ways, to lead us in the way everlasting, uh, we have been looking at these three primary ways that God gives us to search us. And so today we're going to be looking at this tool of gospel community. And um, this series, for me, is not just uh, one I like to preach because it's, you know, I like the topics, whatever, I'm passionate about the topics, uh, but it's always a challenging series for me to preach. Um, it's always convicting. Um, I, I want you to know, and I want you to keep this in mind even as we go through today, because today's message is going to be challenging, as I hope the last two have been as well. Um, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push a little bit today. It might make some of you uncomfortable, uh, and I hope that you want that, but I, I want you to know that I, I never, I always aim to preach a sermon that's higher than what I'm actually living, okay? So uh, I don't ever want to preach what I'm doing in my life, because that's not, that's not good for you. It's not good for me, right? I'm, that's why I always say I'm preaching to myself, because I, I'm never living up to what I'm actually preaching. Call me a hypocrite, but I think that I should be preaching something better than what Joby's living. I mean, does that make sense? Right? So uh, I'm always preaching above <laughs> what I'm actually living out in my life and in my heart. I, I want to be conformed to what I actually preach, but I have to preach to myself as well. I've not arrived at any of these topics that we've been looking at the last nine years. I need this as much as any one of us in here. And so as I go through this, even though I'm, I'm going to push a bit, um, I, I want you to know how much, uh, even in just the last week or two, uh, some of the emails I've gotten from people that have just been so life-giving and encouraging, uh, the way that you guys have been uh, loving and caring for, for me uh, in this tough six months. Um, so I, I push, not because I'm disappointed or upset, I, I push because I, I love our church. And I want to see us continue to press onward and upward towards the upward calling of Christ. Uh, so, um, so I want you to know that as we go through this, I am going to get kind of specific. I'm going to needle a bit. Um, I might make some of you upset. But I hope that as we have looked at these last couple of weeks when I've asked the question, why do you even come here? Uh, I think one of those reasons for most of you, if you guys have been around for any length of time... I think one of the reasons you come here is because you like to be challenged. I mean, you might not like it, but you want to be challenged deep down. You want to grow. You want to repent. You want to be pushed into more and more sanctification. So, um, so though it might, some of these moments might make you uncomfortable, I hope that's what you hope for. Uh, my wife and I, we, um, 
we've started to go back to school together. We're uh, going through uh, getting certified um, as uh, biblical counselors through uh, an organization called CCEF. And one of the first classes that we took uh, was mentioned that people don't change by sermons that are preached in generalities. And that really encouraged me and affirmed me in a lot of ways because uh, I know that when I preach, I try to get specific. I try to find specific ways to kind of push on some of the things that I know that uh, the, uh, the, the sins that beset in our hearts, the things that we struggle with, what's kind of going on uh, in our world, um, whether it's as families or couples or whatever it might be. Um, I, I try to be specific. Um, and uh, when I thought about it after hearing this from this, uh, uh, the, the teacher, the instructor, I thought through and I, I thought, well, the only times I've ever actually really offended people is when I get specific. When I, when I kind of stay general and just talk about good truth, God is good, Jesus is Lord, everyone walks away all happy. It's when I get specific is when I usually upset people. Uh, and so when he said that, I thought, well, that's, that's absolutely true. I've seen that the last nine years. That uh, although generalities are also good because we need generalities, but we also need specifics so that we can apply uh, these general truths to specific areas of our life, to be specifically challenged. Uh, so today we will get a little specific. Uh, so I want to pray, um, ask the Lord for his grace, his mercy, um, ask him to have this Psalm 139 be sort of the, uh, the umbrella for us that um, protects us uh, even from um, our own defensiveness, um, our own pushback. Um, but we would come today and say, God, I honestly really want you to search me and know me. Uh, and I want to admit to anything that I might be holding back from you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have um, saved me and adopted me, not just to be your son, but to be a brother uh, to many, many brothers and sisters that you've brought into my life. And there's times when I challenge them, and there's times when they challenge me. There's times that I, you use me to call them out. There's times you use them to call me out. And um, it's a crazy and amazing, beautiful, but challenging design. And you've done this for our good. And there's so often that we hold back, we push back, we hide. And we don't want to, to be that way. We, we want to walk in the freedom that you desire for us. We want to walk in obedience to what you've called us to. We want you to search us out and to reveal to us any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We want that. Deep down, we want that. Our, our flesh does not want that at all. But we're asking that you would change our hearts, that you would soften us, that you would break down our walls that we put up between us and other people, destroy our pride, humble us, help us and teach us to be truly transparent and vulnerable, to admit our weaknesses, to admit, admit our, our fears. Because it's in that weakness, that place of weakness, that you actually are strong in our lives. So help us. We want to trust your ways. We want to walk in your wisdom. We need you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Are you guys like a little nervous? <laughs> so, some of you guys I can see like tightened up a little bit. It won't be that bad. Well, I can't promise that, but Hebrews chapter 3 uh, is where we'll be kind of launching and we'll be kind of looking at this a lot throughout the sermon here. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says, exhort one another every day. Not every other day, not once a week on Sundays, but every day. As long as it's called today. So as long as there's daylight, exhort one another. And here's why. This is why we need this daily interaction of people. So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So left alone, left on our own, walking through our day, going to work, making dinner, all that stuff. Just left to your own, you will slowly be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, Paul Tripp, he says, uh, from his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, which a lot of us went through that seven, eight years ago. He said, real radical change of the deepest kind takes place when we allow the Holy Spirit to apply God's word to our hearts and when we allow God's people to encourage, to guide, to support, to pray for, and challenge us in biblical ways. It's a real change in your life. It's not just through one of these three means of grace, the word of God, prayer, or community, but ideally it's actually through all three. When God's people... Take the word of God and the truths of God and speak it into your life, pray for you, and challenge you with God's word. When those three things are working together, now there's this real, like this, literally like a trifecta of power of the gospel that is working in your heart. So part of the problem here is that we can have the word and we can have prayer, but if we don't have people, God's people, gospel community, if we don't have that, we can, we can use God's word and we can use prayer to hide behind those things. And we can actually use God's word and use prayer to even serve our own idols. Okay, if you don't have people who are speaking to your life, looking at your life, you can use God's word and prayer even to serve your own idols. We will be hardened by the deceitfulness of our own sin if we don't have this ministry of people in our life. So it's harder to use the word of God in prayer to serve our idols. It's harder to do that when we're in community. It's harder to hide behind our excuses. It's harder to continue to live out our blind spots. It's harder to hide our idols. It's not impossible, especially in this day and age when we can pick and choose where we're getting information, where we're getting encouragement. We can easily seek out our own little echo chambers, people we agree with. And we can do it even from the convenience of our own homes, especially with these little magical portals that we carry in our pockets every day. We can easily just connect with whoever we want to connect with. We can pick and choose the people who agree with us, who affirm the things that we already believe. So it's easy for us to do this. It's harder to do it when we have people, but it's, it's still possible for us to hide behind the word of God in prayer because we can kind of form and fashion uh, a gospel community that's made in our image. That's what technology allows us to do, unfortunately. It's one of the bad parts of technology. But when we're in gospel community that is not just curated and formulated by your own picking and choosing, your own little, little algorithms that social media chooses for you, but when you're in a community that you can't pick and choose, you come to Life Mission Church, you can't, you can't choose the people sitting next to you, can you? That's part of the good part about this. 
right? You don't, you don't get to choose who comes to Life Mission Church. That's a good thing. It's good that you have a diverse type of people here because you can't just get away with everything like you can when you curate your own little community online. So when we're in that gospel community that continually points us to the power of the gospel and to God's word, it's harder for us to live in our areas of blindness. So again, looking at Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day. If you're just coming here, you see some of these folks just once a week. I'm not saying some, I know you only see some of them once a week, but if people from your community, your gospel community, you're only, you're only seeing all of them once a week, now that's just going to be easier for you to hide in your blind spots because look at Hebrews 3.13. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need more than just Sunday morning. I'm not saying you need to meet with every single person in the church throughout the week, but you need more than just Sunday morning. You need gospel community every day. You need help. I need help every single day. And your need for help isn't the result of the fall. Your need for help is the result of the fact that you're, you're human. Even before the fall, Adam and Eve needed the help of God. Clearly, because without his help, they sinned. They had one rule, and they, they blew it. But now, so the, so the fact is, is that we need the help of God every day just because we're human. Now we throw sin actually into the mix, and now we really need each other's help. So even on your good days, you need help. Now throw sin in the mix, now you really need help. Because now with sin and the sin that's done to us, not just the sin we commit, but the sins that are done to us, we have these roadblocks that don't allow us to see clearly. They're like speed bumps that slow us down in our pursuits, and we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, sin that you commit and sin done to you. Both those things can harden your hearts, depending on how you respond to them. I've used this a lot over the years. If you have never done this, put your hand in front of your face, and all of a sudden you realize you don't see the room clearly. There's a roadblock in front of you. So even though I can maybe see, you know, however many people in this room, my hand blocks my view. You start walking through life like this, you're going to start tripping over things. You're going to bump into things. And that's what happens when we have idols, blind spots, deception. These things are right here. We can see enough to get through life, but we're deceived. We don't see clearly. Sin and idols distort your perspective. They, they blur your lens, and you'll stumble. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And remember this, too. You don't make decisions based on the facts that are in front of you. You, you think you do, but you actually make decisions based on how you interpret the facts. And that's, that's a, there's a difference there, Right? You can have all the facts in the world, and yet you have two people who love Jesus, and they see things differently, right? And, and sometimes, in some situations, neither one of them is necessarily wrong, although there are sometimes that that's, there is one person's right and one person's wrong. So we don't make our choices based on the facts, though we like to think we're so objective and we're just so clear-minded, but you make your decisions based on your interpretation of the facts, and that is different, I can think that there's five people in this room, but my hand actually only shows me three. I think I'm accurate, but the idols in my heart, the blind spots in my life, actually distort the facts and I interpret differently. So, so married couples, think of any argument you've ever had with your spouse. You and your spouse see the same situation 
with the same exact facts in front of you, whatever it is, you're looking at the finances, you're looking at this week's schedule, you have the same facts in front of you. So why do you argue? If you both have the same facts, it's the way that the two of you are interpreting the facts. The way you're interpreting what priorities are or what the outcome might be or whatever it might be. Think of the political divide that we have today. It's always interesting to me. We have two Jesus-loving, Bible-loving, truth-loving people who get along in so many ways, important ways. And then all of a sudden you have this thing of politics and they just become enemies. I, I, don't, I don't understand how we can agree with so much and then when... Presented with the facts, you can have two people completely disagree and actually even spew vitriol towards each other. So again, it's not the facts, it's the interpretation of the facts, because in every other part of life, these two people agree on so many things. Is it because one guy is just so smart and sees it so clear, and the other guy is just sort of dumb? I don't, I don't think that's it. I think there's interpretations that are not seeing eye to eye. Kids, think about any time you argue with your friends. Maybe you're playing a game on the playground or a video game, something like that. You guys both see the same thing that happened, and yet you totally disagree with what happened. Or maybe a friend is gossiping about a situation. You saw the same situation play out, and then you hear through someone else that, oh, this is what happened. That's not what happened. So two people see the same thing, and yet we interpret differently. We read between the lines. We assume things. Uh, we don't think the best of the other person, whatever it might be, but we interpret differently, and this is what happens. And since all of us deal with spiritual blindness, we often don't see all the facts accurately, and so we interpret wrongly even when faced with facts. Or sometimes we just interpret differently, not necessarily wrong, depending on the situation. But true friendship... True relationship calls you out of that darkness of this personal privacy, no vulnerability, I don't want you to see who I really am, and it calls you out from being a sealed envelope to being an open letter. See, we kind of have this default where we want to self-protect, we don't want people to really know what's really going on in our lives, in our hearts, our minds, our fears, our struggles, our sin, and so we want to remain this sealed letter, the sealed envelope, instead of this open letter able for the people in our lives to, to read and to really get to know. Now, I wonder how many of us are more like those sealed envelopes. You keep your cards close. You don't want people to really know what's going on in your heart, in your mind, things you struggle with, your doubts. You have an image to uphold, whether it's your parenting, your marriage, your success, your smarts, finances, whatever it is, you know, your, your faith, how good of a Christian you are, you, you've got an image to uphold. And so you kind of keep your cards closed, you stay as this sealed envelope, and you don't want people to really know and be able to read the letter, the epistle of Joby. I just, I don't want people to really know what's going on in my mind, my heart, so I stay hidden. But we all need help, all of us. Your kids need help, your adults need help, married, you're single, divorced, you need help. And you can't do this alone. You're not, you're not meant to do this alone. You're not, you're not designed for it, you're not meant for it. And we can say, oh, I, I don't need 
community and people to be accountable. I just need God and the Bible, but guess what? God and the Bible actually tells you you need community. So if you read that Bible, you'd actually realize that, yes, you do actually need community. Now picture a, a campfire, and this, this campfire's got, you know, coal and logs, and it's just, it's just got this great fire. Everyone's warm because of this fire. There's light. And all of a sudden, this piece of coal kind of falls out and trickles away, and it sits there. That, that little bit of coal, it can stay on fire for a little while. It's a hot, but think about the light that it gives off. It doesn't give off much light anymore on its own. It barely gives off any heat. I mean, you'd have to get so close, it could heat up maybe two sets of hands, and that's it. Whereas when that coal is with this campfire, all of a sudden, many people are warmed by it. Many people have light because of it, have heat because of it. And this coal, it goes over here, and this is what happens when we kind of isolate ourselves and become these sealed-off envelopes. We cut ourselves off from community. We kind of stay warm for a little while. We provide a little bit of heat, maybe just for those closest to us or at best. But eventually what happens to that coal? It, it goes out. Right? We wander from the design of God, from the body of Christ, from relationship. And you can go for a little while, but you're going to run out of gas. You will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what Hebrews tells us. There's, there's times in my life, and I'm kind of in one of those times right now where uh, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm tired. And these times, I, I need someone else to, to help me, to lift up my arms, to help me put on my armor, to put the sword in my hand. I need other people to, to preach to me when I'm having a hard time preaching to myself. I need other people to spot areas in my life where I'm not interpreting properly, and I misinterpret a lot. You know, I, I get stuck in my head. I, I think about the things that are very real and very sad in my life, and I start listening to that rather than listening to the gospel. I need other people to speak into my life so I'm not deceived and hardened by sin, hardened by hopelessness, discouragement. And I can think of countless times, countless times, where I sat with someone or got a text from someone or whatever it was, sat across the table with someone where they just spoke truth in my life. They called me out on ways I'm misinterpreting things. They're asking me probing questions and I'm being challenged by them. Sometimes I'm being encouraged by them, sometimes being challenged by them. I can, I mean, scores and scores and scores of times. And in these last few months, I can tell you of so many times when I've had so much of that in my life, people just texting me, encouraging me, reaching out to me, just bringing encouragement because they know I'm, I'm, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm discouraged. I can, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And that's exactly what God has designed for us. We need the ministry of the body of Christ. Because you're human, you need help. Because you have blind spots, you need help. And God uses the word and most often uses the word through others who are seeing your life, your sin, your tendencies, your idiosyncrasies, your blind spots more clearly than you're seeing them or more clearly than you're admitting to having them. Sometimes you actually know where your sin is, but you just don't like to admit it. And there's countless of scriptures that not only encourage us, but even command us to be humble, 
to be vulnerable, to be teachable, to be accountable, to be seeking out challenge and correction from others. He's called us to live differently than this world does. You, you know it's a good thing for you to be in a church with people who have different opinions than you, that see life differently than you. That, that's a good thing. That's a gift of God right there, to have other people from different backgrounds and everything that, that see things differently. And that is, that is a blessing from God to not go to a church in an echo chamber where you just go and you just get patted on the back week in and week out. Because when we're in our own little sequestered corners, whether it's through our social media feed or whatever, the people we reach out to, people with our particular convictions, they share the exact same convictions, whether it's theological or whether it's political or certain values or preferences you have. When we do that, and we just kind of seek out people who are just like us and everything, you know what happens? You don't become conformed to the image of God. You become conformed to the image of, of your little tribe. And so all of a sudden now we become arrogant, we become prideful, we become condescending towards others who aren't seeing things how, exactly how we are, we become smug and pompous, we make snide remarks, and we become self-righteous people. And we see that a lot today, don't we? But when we commit to one another, even those who have differences, within the body of Christ, within our church community, when we walk beside one another and strive with one another, we stand strong with one another, we break bread with one another, and when we seek to truly understand and know one another and be vulnerable and accountable to each other, we become more humble, meek, patient, caring, gentle, understanding, empathetic, and, and loving. Now, one of those looks like the world, and one of them looks like Christ. I'll let you choose which one that is. But one of those things looks like the world, one of them looks like Christ. Hebrews 3.13, again, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Another quote from Paul Tripp, he says, we have this perverse ability to feel good about things that are not good. Right? Just think of your own life. Think about some of the things that you take some joy and pleasure in. We have this ability to feel good about things that aren't actually good. We're blind to our own blindness, he says. And the spiritually blind person walks around believing that no one has a more accurate view of themselves than they do. Right? So think about your life. Do you, do you think to yourself, no one sees me and my heart better than I do? Be careful if that's how you think. Because God puts the body of Christ in your life and the word of God in prayer because you don't actually know your heart. Your heart deceives you. Your heart deceives you. It's deceitful above all things. Don't think that you know best because your heart deceives you. And the hardness of sin will deceive us. And so we need this ministry of the body of Christ, working with the word of God and prayer. We need daily intervention, Tripp says. Each of us, whether pastors or congregants, needs the eyes of others in order to see ourselves with clarity and accuracy. And what is this daily ministry of intervention protecting us from? What is the point of having multiple people who see into your life? 
What, what is that, what's that doing for us? What's that protecting us from? From becoming spiritually blinded to the point of the hardening of our hearts. Our own hearts deceive us. And it doesn't mean that there's this one guru person, guy or gal in your life who sees all things. We're not, we're not saying these people are, are God. But when we have a multiplicity of people who see differently, this is what we need. We don't need uh, this one mentor, this one uh, kind of capital D discipler person, guru. No, we need the body of Christ, the diversity of the body of Christ who can ask different types of questions and see things that you aren't quite seeing. So a few questions. I think these are in your notes. A few questions you can ask yourself. Who are you accountable to and who truly knows you? Who frequently confronts you when they see blind spots and sin? Who, who goes out of, your way, out of their way to actually challenge you? And, and what's your response when they do it? How do you respond when someone actually challenges? And let, let's say, picture this. Someone comes up to you, someone who loves you, and uh, they challenge you on something, and you think they are so wrong. You just think, are you kidding me? That is so offensive that you thought that about me. What is your response? Is it that? Is it defensiveness and getting angry? Or is it going, oh, I don't see that at all, but you know, I'm, I'm really going to consider this because I, I know you love me. I know you care about me. Because it doesn't mean that they're going to be right. I'm not saying that you know, because you have blind spots, these people, you know, again, they're not you know, omniscient. But what is your response when people actually do confront you? And if your answer to this question is, well, I don't have anyone like that, then my question to you then is, why not? Why is there not someone like that? Where, where's the roadblock? Where's the roadblock? Second question, when was the last time you asked someone to speak into your life concerning sin and blind spots? Right, so this is different. I'm not talking about someone who takes the initiative but you yourself, taking responsibility, do you seek out these kinds of relationships and conversations? Or do you just kind of wait? If no one asks, well, they didn't ask. <laughs> I didn't have to say anything. I didn't, no, no one asked. No, that, this is your responsibility to seek this out. Third question, who would you write down as people you would welcome their voice and their accountability? Ask, ask these people. Okay, when you leave here today or this week, whatever, Ask those people if they feel comfortable confronting you. Or do they avoid you because they either fear you're going to become angry or defensive or, or your feelings are going to be hurt? Ask them if they're comfortable confronting you. And if they say no, that might be their problem. That might be fear of man on their part, but it might be your problem because you get defensive, because you get hurt or whatever it is. Write their names down in your notes. Show them later. Show your spouse when you go home. Hey, here's who I wrote down. Would you agree with this? This is, this is part of your homework, by the way, is to be accountable to this and write these things down and actually show people. I, I've, I've done this like, I've, like many times over the years. I don't know how many people actually follow up on this, this part, but I'm telling you, show them, tell them. Show your spouse. Are you accountable to your church family? A few years ago, I was doing some counseling with um, Tom over at IBCD and uh, here in Escondido, and he said, if we really knew the depth of our own sin, we would want to be accountable to a church. You would want gospel community in your life. 
people that you live life with, if you really knew the depth of your sin. Unfortunately, we don't really know the depth of our sin. And there's this frequent pattern I see a lot of times when people just want to avoid real accountability. They just want to affirm their case, their position, their perspective. So they go to people, first of all, that they think are just going to agree with them. Right? So they kind of go, well, I'm, I'm doing this in my life, but you know, I, I'm going to go to them because I think that I can either, they're either already doing what I'm doing or they're going to affirm, or I can spin the story enough to where they're going to actually be on my side. So there's that thing that happens a lot. The other thing that I see happen a lot is getting counsel from people who don't actually know you. All right, so you go to this perfect stranger, and there's a time and a place to get counseling and go to a therapist that, that is just a perfect stranger. So I'm not saying never do this. But that should be supplemental in your life, and your walk. If that's the only person that you are truly honest with and going to, that, that's a problem. You're hiding from the body that God has brought you into, but you're honest with it. There's something that's not right there. I'm not saying spill your guts to every single person in the church. But there's this thing we do where we just, we just want to talk to someone who doesn't know us because then we can withhold certain information. We can tell the story as we saw it, as we interpreted the facts, and so there's a place for that, and we refer, I refer people to counselors that they've never met, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there's a place for it. But when that's kind of our default thing and our main thing is to go and just seek out people who don't know us, and that's it, there's something a little amiss about that. It should be part of the, your growth process, but not the sole thing or the main thing you go to, because that's a, a convenient way to avoid real accountability and Avoid transparency and being an unsealed envelope in the body of Christ that God has called you to. Again, there's a time and a place to reach out to those perfect strangers. It's actually very helpful when it is supplemental and part of the overall process. So who do you reach out to, though, in your life who, who really knows you? Who knows kind of you know, your personality, your tendencies? They also know maybe your kids or your spouse or whatever the situation is that you're struggling with. Not, they don't just know your side of the story, but they actually can see your life. Who do you reach out to? And you don't just respond to them when they reach out to you, but you reach out to them. So we have too many limits on our relationships. Our relationships were driven by fear or pride. We're very independent. We're closed envelopes. Because again, especially in our, maybe in our church community, we have this image that we feel like we have to uphold. You know, we, we serve in this capacity. We come to church every week, whatever it is. You want people to think you've got this great marriage and your kids are perfect and all this stuff. And this is the last place where we should be upholding an image. The last place. We're here because we're broken. We're here because we need change. We're not here because we're perfect. That day is going to come in the future whenever the Lord takes you home, but it's not now. And right now, we're broken people who need broken people. Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It is good to be hurt by people you love if they're doing it because they love you. That's so much better than just having someone kiss up to you. And all of us need rebuke. We can see that even from the scripture. We know all of us need rebuke. All of us are probably hiding what's really going on in our life. But real friends rebuke us. And flattering and kind of being polite feels much better, but we need friends, relationships to confront us. Who really has that right 
in your life? Or do you just seek out people who will tell you what you want to hear or people who won't confront you? Now, here's where I'm going to get myself in a little bit of trouble, okay? So, I know, <laughs> as if I'm not there already. I want to talk about community killers uh, as we just kind of look at this last section here. Because I'm not here just to patch on the back, and I hope that this is an open rebuke um, from a friend, from a, a shepherd. And this open rebuke would be seen as love rather than just this kind of carefully concealed pat on the back. Uh, wounds from a friend, wounds from a shepherd. Now, when we talk in our church about how community connects you to the gospel, there's a couple things I can be dogmatic about. There's some things I can't be dogmatic about because our lives are not identical and cookie cutter. So when I speak of community, I can't be dogmatic about community group or a specific format of fight club, that kind of stuff, uh, because there's, there's many ways we can be in community to be connected to the gospel. Okay, so when I'm talking about some of these things, I'm not saying that if you never go to a community group, then you're in sin. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about community in general, the way that God designed it. Community group is a way that we do it in our church, encouraging you to do, do fight clubs and meet with people for breakfast and coffee. That's a way that we encourage people. But I'm talking just in general, generalities about community, vulnerability, confession of sin, whatever that looks like in your life. But there is also... Because of that, there's also a biblical command to exhort one another every day. So I can be dogmatic about that, right? Because the Bible says that. The Bible doesn't say you have to go to this you know, community group for an hour and a half every Wednesday or whatever, right? But it does say to, to exhort one another every day. So I can be dogmatic about that, to be accountable in gospel community, confessing sin and exhorting one another. I can also be more forward about Sunday morning gathering and worship together because the Bible actually commands that as well, that this should be a priority in our week. So I can be more forward about that. We're not to neglect gathering together, worshiping together on the first day of the week. And that command, which is a gift, was made for us. God designed this to be part of your week and actually to, to start your week off, to start the first day of the week, you begin the first morning of the first day of the week worshiping with your church family. That's a design by God. Okay, so I can't be dogmatic about every little instance of community, but there's a few things that I can, I can push more on because the Bible commands us to do these things. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, so some people have a habit of neglecting being together as a church family and fellowship, but instead encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, day, drawing near. And again, Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So remember, uh, in this culture, this first century, there were no cars and People lived in close quarters and villages together, so it was much easier for them to exhort each other every single day. It was a very communal lifestyle. But that doesn't give us an excuse to not do it because we don't live in that day. It means it's a lot harder for us to do it, and we have to work harder at exhorting each other every single day. Right, we got this gift of technology and vehicles. Vehicles, and now you guys, we all like live miles apart from each other. So that's great. We get to come together. But you know what that also enables you to do? It also enables us to live miles apart from each other. So there's some good and bad there, isn't there? Now to actually 
exhort one another every day. And I don't necessarily think it totally means being in person with someone every day, though that's ideal. But it just means we have to put in much greater effort than the first church because we live miles apart from each other. So it takes more of an effort for us to actually obey this than I think the first century church did. So we have to keep that in mind. So here's some community killers. And I'm talking about some roadblocks for Sunday gathering, but also excuses for us avoiding true relationship and accountability. Maybe it's community group, but maybe it's just people. And a commitment to this everyday exhortation. And keep in mind as I go through these things, some of these things aren't absolutes. Some of these little categories I'm going to read through. But if you hear something that kind of sounds a little bit like your life, you should at least take it seriously that any of these things maybe seem to describe you, sit back and take action in praying and asking God to search me and know me. Show me, am I doing something grievous here? I know maybe this isn't an absolute, but am, am I doing something grievous here? So here's a few of these reasons why we stay away from community, whether it's Sunday morning, midweek, whatever. Uh, one is we, just, we like to avoid accountability. That's just kind of a simple one. You like your independence. You don't want others to speak into your life, whether it's a preacher like me or if it's a friend. You just, you just don't want to avoid seeing someone who might confront you. Uh, maybe you know that you're living in sin and you, you just don't want that conviction. Or maybe it's something like you got big decisions in your life taking a certain job, where to move, big financial decisions, relationship problems, marriage problems, and you just don't want someone else to, to meddle in your business. So you just would rather avoid. It's none of their business. You want to make your decisions on your own because you're independent. And so you don't want the voices of other people. Another one is just laziness. Sometimes relationships just sound like work. And I can admit that this is one of my roadblocks. This is a hard one for me. Sometimes I just, relationships are hard. Uh, they're, they can be draining sometimes. But let me tell you something. If you're doing relationships right, they'll be draining. Hey, Paul poured himself out as a drink offering to the Lord and for the sake of people. If, if your idea of relationship and friendship is just to fill you and make you feel good all the time, you're doing it wrong. Right? If you're doing it right, biblically, you should feel drained sometimes because that means you're giving. That means you're pouring out, okay? So, so this one, this laziness and just kind of it sounds like a lot of work. It's just, it's hard. It is hard. Welcome to being human. Welcome to being a church. It's hard. Uh, another one is busyness. Other events during the week or on Sundays, your hobbies. You know, you want to have a, a, a beach day. You want to do this. You want to do that. Like they just, they just take priorities. The busyness robs you and robs the Lord of the time that should be set apart for him, or whether it's maybe during the midweek or whatever. Another one on that one is this me time. I just need some me time. Oh, man. Been a tough week, busy week, and I just need some me time. Sunday rolls around. I just need some me time. Let me just dispel a little myth for you. Okay, a worldly myth. None of your time is me time. None of it. None of it. You are to steward all your time, 100% of your time, for the glory of God. You know, when we talk about giving, right, you give 10%, 11%, whatever it is, it's not that you give God 10% and then you get to spend 90% on whatever you want. 
That's not how it works. No, 100% of your money is God's money. He just calls us to give a certain percentage to a specific category, the local church, the body that you're a part of, and that other 90%, you still have to steward for God's glory. You have a little more uh, play with how you can do that, other ways that you spend that money to glorify God, but he says, but I want you to set aside this part, the first fruits of your money, towards this particular thing. The other 90%, it's a little bit more up to you, but you still have to glorify me with it. So this whole idea of me time is if you're going to have some me time, it better still honor and glorify God. So if you're using your me time to rob God of Sunday morning worship with your family, you're doing that wrong. Your me time is some other time, and it should also be glorifying to God. You can't, you can't glorify God with me time by skipping out on church, skipping out on accountability or relationships, avoiding people. That's not how you use your me time. You use your me time to glorify Jesus, not to just to self-worship. Right? So we have to be careful with that. All your time is God's time. One of the saddest me time church stats is that Father's Day is the lowest attended Sunday of the year. It's not how it should be. On a similar note, sometimes we're just, we're tired. And being tired on the weekends, it's, it's a real thing. Life is not easy. Life is busy. There's a lot that goes on. But it's better to cut something else out not relationships, not gathering together with your church family on Sundays to start your week worshiping Jesus. Don't cut out fellowship. That doesn't mean that necessarily like you've got this crazy busy week that you don't say, well, I, I can't do this normal Thursday morning meeting, you know, just because, I'm not, again, these aren't absolutes. I can push on some things more than other things here, but just something to consider. When you are tired, what are you choosing to cut out of your life? right? doesn't mean it's going to be easy if you choose to keep the things that God commands and cut out the things he doesn't command. If you choose to do that, it doesn't mean that your tiredness is just going to go away. All of a sudden, magically, I've got all this energy for church on Sunday. I've got all this energy for community group. That doesn't mean that's going to happen. It's still going to be hard, but it's going to be right. It'll be right. These past months for myself, I haven't been near as social as I normally am, and I'm talking about my, my social life. Um, I've been worn out, so that's what I'm saying. This is, we don't live life in a vacuum, and these things aren't like, there's not these like percentages or anything, but in that time, I've gone out of my way to stay connected to a smaller little you know, handful of people that I, I, there's just been lifting me up and caring for me and, and all those things. And I don't plan on staying this way forever. And I'm, I'm really hoping that now I've gotten into the other side of the holidays and a lot of stuff that I'm hoping to start rebuilding a little bit of that. Uh, so, but in all that, I've been tired, I've been exhausted, but I still made sure I stayed connected. Not as connected, but I still stayed connected. I had to. I, I couldn't have gotten through these last six months had I not stayed connected. Even if it was just three or four people. Another one uh, is this kind of COVID fatigue. I know there's real concerns, real health concerns, and we've been supportive of people being wise with their health, your personal needs, and being careful, being cautious. But in that, in this last year and a half, there's been a lot of bad habits also that have been formed and a lot of bad excuses that have also kind of taken root in us. We've kind of gotten used to our pajamas, 
And some of us, we get in a bad habit of just staying home, whether it's Sunday morning or if it's community group or whatever it is. We've just kind of gotten used to our comfort at home when you really don't have to. You know, our online format doing live streaming is not meant to be so you can stay home. It's when you have to stay home. There's a big difference there. So if you have to stay home because of your health, that's what that's for. It's not there as like, oh, I'm tired, so I'm, I can stay home today because they're online. That's not what it's for. And you have to have the responsibility to make that choice of, I have to stay home today. Thank you, Lord, that we do this. It's not, well, I could just stay home today and we'll just you know, you know, catch up with it later. That, it, it's not there to be an option for you. It's when it has to be there for you. We're happy to provide it for those who have to stay home. We don't want to provide it for those who just want to stay home. So for some of you, and I'll look at the camera right now, for some of you, it's time to get back to church. Again, not if you have to stay home, not if you have real concerns, this is why we're providing that service, but some of us have to get back to church. We have to make that habit. We have to get back to community group or fight clubs or whatever it might be. Another one is youth sports. Another tough one. One that was an early challenge for us uh, as a baseball family. It's very tempting for us to let the God of youth sports earn its spot in the heart for Sunday morning gathering. Going to baseball first thing Sunday morning instead of going to our church family. But allowing youth sports to rob from the Lord and rob from you and your kids, it's not worth the habit, the values, and the weak convictions that are passed down to your kids, what you're teaching them, what you're training them, how to value the body of Christ. And this was a tough one for us because everyone was doing it. Even the Christians in our life, everyone was doing it. It's easy to justify. Let me tell you what every single all-star season looked like for us. Okay, so rec ball and spring was Saturdays. Great, awesome. End of the season, get a couple emails from some managers. They're all-star managers. Hey, we want Mike and we want Liam to be all-stars, you know, this and that. And, and really, like, for a lot of times when, when your kids are, are playing any sport, all-stars is kind of like, it's kind of like the main thing because you're going, now I get to play with kids that are at my level, and you, you really, it's, it's, it's very valuable. And so I would tell them from the beginning, hey, we're honored, thank you. Um, I want to let you know we are 100% totally in except for Sunday mornings. And uh, they would usually get back with like, oh, yeah, man, that's cool. And they're at least a handful of times like, oh, yeah, man, we like church too, bro. And, and I'm like, yeah, Okay. So, um, so we would commit, and we made it clear. Sure enough, first tournament that comes around, I get, and I would tell them clearly, and I'm not just talking about me because I'm a pastor, I'm talking about my kid too. We, we go to church as a family. And then sure enough, we'd get that email, like, hey, I know you got church, but you know, I, can, I can pick Micah up or Liam up at eight in the morning, and like, you can just meet us down there. I told them, Sunday afternoons, fine, that's great. Sunday evenings, fine, just not the mornings. Our priority is... We value church more than baseball. And uh, so every single time, I mean, every single coach eventually would just say to me, hey, I know you have to be there, but I can pick up your son. I said, I, I, I'm sorry, I told you we would not be available on Sunday mornings. And it was tough because, you know, they just, they put the pressure on, but we just, we, we stuck to it. And never once have we looked back as a family and said, man, we really missed out on that. Never once have we regretted that. You can, you can ask my boys after church if they regret 
missing out on those Sunday morning tournaments. We'd go, we'd do the Friday nights, the Saturday mornings, the Saturday days, the Sunday nights. We would just miss one game. Um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but that's what we chose. Parents, you need to lead your families. Just because youth sports is someone else's priority on a Sunday doesn't mean it has to be yours. Don't let them dictate what is your priority. You might make your kids upset with that one, but you can't let your kids be your idol. And you don't want your kids to have sports be their idol. You might need even to repent to your kids. A couple more, and then we'll be done. <laughs> uh, work. It's a tough one, too, because there are realities. There are needs in our lives. But you have to ask yourself, if you truly have to work on Sunday, do you have to have that particular job? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And that's a tough one. Another one is saying, I, I just I don't connect. I don't, I don't relate to people. And this is when church just becomes about you. It's no longer about God. It's not about the gospel. It's not about the body of Christ. It's not about how you can bless others. It's about what you want to get out of church. And if you believe that lie, you're going to miss out on one of the greatest blessings that God has for you. You press in. You press in. You stick with it. I, I know a lot of you guys know the story of, of Travis and Brittany. When, they first, when we first started the church nine years ago, they almost did not become life missionaries because they came a few times, they weren't connecting. And they came a few times. And we were much smaller back then too, so it wasn't like they got lost in the crowd and they just weren't connecting. But they stuck with it. I mean, can you imagine Life Mission Church without Travis and Brittany? And yet they almost didn't because they just weren't connecting. But they stayed obedient. They pressed through. They, they, they made it happen. I'm not saying it's easy. Relationships are hard, but it's worth it. Now, again, uh, I know that life isn't lived in a vacuum. Life is often unpredictable. I've had my own interruptions in life. I, I missed four Sundays in the fall. Never done that before because of my dad going out to Phoenix. There's unexpected seasons or events. There's exceptions to these things. You go on vacation. Enjoy your vacation. Maybe some weekend you're moving. You, just, you have to be out on Sunday. Maybe work does take you out of town from time to time, or maybe a family reunion comes in town and, and everyone schedules this brunch at some place or whatever. You're running in an annual marathon that you enjoy every year, or maybe your kid's youth sports team has this national championship thing. Okay, so I'm not saying there's, there's no exceptions to these things. I'm not the arbiter of where the line is here. Nor can I say when or if, like this amount of time or this percentage is good or bad or whatever. But what I can say is that when these things become the norm, when they become the habit, a regular pattern that robs God of the day that he set aside for him and for you to be with your church family, when it becomes a regular thing, a habitual thing, the norm in your life, that's when it should cause us to become before the Lord and become honest with him and say, God, you know what? Maybe I need to kind of go after this again. Search me and know me. Show me if there's a grievous way in me. Am I making a bad choice here? I mean, I have to work, there's a great job, you know, this, whatever it is, you, you, you have to get before the Lord in the Word of God prayer, and the whole point of this sermon is to reach out to other people who will be honest to you, who will challenge you, all right? Don't just be in the Word and prayer, because you can spin your whole thing however you want. Well, I really need to do this, you know? No, you need to also ask people to speak into your life. Okay, there's so many times, I can tell you so many times where people said, hey, I'm going to be out of town for this, that, and I, I, I don't give people a guilt trip on this stuff. 
life, life happens. Right? I go on vacation. I mean, there's, so, so again, these aren't absolutes. I'm not the arbiter of right and wrong here. But what I'm trying to encourage you is to be honest with the Lord and reach out to other people when you're making these decisions. Don't just do it on your own because your heart will deceive you. That's the point. There's jobs and rest and recreation, kids' sports, all these other things that are important and some are even needs. But what does the Lord also say you need? The Lord says man does not live on bread alone. You don't live on me time alone. You don't live on kids' sports alone. You don't, no, there's, we need more than just those things in our schedules. We need to make priorities and schedule our priorities properly before the Lord and with accountability of people. Because your needs aren't just physical rest or financial needs. Don't believe that lie that those things are more important than the things that God actually commands. Right? We want to trust the Lord and his design. So my challenge is that we'd get into the word, we'd be in prayer and ask those around us that we trust. We'd ask God to search our hearts to know us and find if there's any grievous way in us and then lead us in the way everlasting. To be really honest. Not just go to those who might give us the same answer who are doing the same things as us. But say, you know, I, really, I want to be right before the Lord. I want to lead my family. I want to lead my own heart. I want the Lord to lead me in the way everlasting. Community and relationship, it's God's idea. It's his plan. Sunday gathering and worship is God's idea. It's his plan. Accountability and vulnerability and transparency, that, that's God's idea. That's his plan. Admitting weakness and temptations and excuses, that, that's God's idea to confess those things. That's his plan. So when it comes to community and accountability, ask as you enter the word and prayer and people, what has the Lord asked me to do? What has he commanded me to do? What, what's the wise thing for me to do? Where does my trust lay? What am I trusting in? And the irony of this part of God's design for our, our weekly gathering is to, it, it's to set our weeks in a way where we give God the first fruit of our week. You wake up on the first day of the week, First thing you do, you get your kids ready, all that stuff. We come and we worship together. That's the whole idea of it, is to start our week this way. So the irony is that it's meant to teach us to not center our lives around us. That's why it's the first day in the morning. And yet sometimes we trade this thing, which is designed to teach us not to make our lives about us, and we trade it for things that make our lives about us. That's kind of the irony. Now, if any of these things I mentioned, if right in your mind, your heart, you went straight to defending yourself in your mind or blame-shifting uh, or, or comparing to other people. Well, it's not like I do go oh, this time, you know, whatever, or excusing. Before you actually examine or discuss with others, I would pause if I was you, and I would take that to the Lord. Don't let your defending and your blame shifting or justifying just automatically take over the conversation in your head. Pause, take a deep breath, take every thought captive, and go seek the Lord in the word, in prayer, and with people. As I close here, I just want to remind us that being in relationships daily even, again, that might just be through text or whatever some days, but it helps undo the hardening of sin, hardening that's already happened, and it also helps prevent future hardening. It brings real and true freedom. Just recently, I was sitting with someone who has been caught up in the deceitfulness of their own sin, and I just was telling him, I want you to have joy that you've never had but you've been holding your cards closed, you've been hiding, you've been avoiding accountability. I want you to have a freedom that you've never had your whole life. That's what happens when we actually get vulnerable with each other, when we 
expose ourselves and show people, we open up the envelope and we let people read really what's going on in our hearts. There's freedom that we can have. It's there for us. I'll close with Psalm 139 one more time. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'll just remind us that in all these things, look, all of us, we're going to fail in one of those categories, if not multiples. All right, I want you all of us to know there is grace that covers our sin as we stumble forward and we try to figure out how to walk through this. We're, we're going to make mistakes. So we, we give each other grace. We give ourselves grace. We accept the Lord's grace for us. This is not easy. It's not easy. But we need to prioritize relationships and accountability and vulnerability in our lives. And prioritize gathering together as a church family. Let's pray. Father, I am reminded of the great um, mercy and patience that you show us. That while your word is challenging and while true prayer is exposing like a scalpel and true community is, is difficult, that you are a good God who gives us these things to bring this open rebuke rather than this love that's carefully concealed and these pats in the back. and um, It's hard for us to, to trust your, your ways and your design because it, it's, it's difficult. It goes after our flesh. It goes after our, our desires, our idols. And so I ask God that you would help us to repent of these things, to pray this Psalm 139 prayer honestly. God, and I, I know that um, even my own uh, kind of trepidation in going into to, to preach uh, a message like this is um, I, I, I love my church family. And my desire, my goal is never to intentionally offend people or hurt people in a way that's, um, that's personal. Uh, I want to go after our idols because I love my church family. And so I hope and pray, God, that as we go to you and ask you to search us out, that you would help us to see clearly to see any grievous way in us, and to make adjustments. Even if they're small adjustments, maybe we're not quite ready to make the big adjustment, but we make small adjustments, whatever it might be. We, just, uh, we, we want to walk uprightly and have you lead us in the way everlasting, in a way of true freedom and joy, openness, vulnerability, transparency, freedom, not putting on a show, not holding up an image, but being weak and vulnerable before each other because we, we need each other. So help us, Lord. Help us, O oh God. We thank you for your patience and your grace towards us. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen.